start off and mention a couple different items of, of information as we get started this evening before we do some singing. Others are coming in from different parts of the building, and as they're coming in, tonight what we have to do is what uh, we have missionary speaker, Bruce Tuttle is here, he's going to be sharing with us, but as we mentioned this morning, we have some business to take care of, and so we have a business meeting to take care of for our annual voting and things of that sort. We are going to have the ushers move through the auditorium, or the, uh, excuse me, we'll have the deacons move through the auditorium. They will have ballots in case you forgot they're going to do that, get ready even right now, and then move through the auditorium. And if you haven't voted yet, you're a member 18 years of age or older, raise your hand, get the ballot, and then we'll explain a few things when we get to that point of the service. But we want to make sure that we cover everybody and that we don't disenfranchise anybody whatsoever. Okay, so the other thing I want to just make sure that you're familiar with is do keep a couple people in prayer. I mentioned this morning, and they may be watching even right now, uh, pray for Rich Reinheimer and his wife Joyce. They're out in Western PA in a hospital. There's, they're going to be further tests to find out if there's some internal bleeding. And with his cancer treatment and everything, that's a serious situation. So keep him in prayer. Keep the Hoys in prayer. Brian's condition is uh, at a standstill. There's still a lot of swelling in the brain, and so responsiveness is extremely limited at this point. Keep him in prayer. Uh, the Hausers, as some of you had saw, seen that Natalie and David, their children, were with us this morning. And uh, then this afternoon in communication with, uh, with Neil, the situation is that they expect, and all the indications are in about 24, 36 hours, that she's going to be meeting the Lord. And so there's several of these folk that you've been praying for. Keep them in prayer. Uh, even as we mentioned, some are going to be having to have surgery coming up. We mentioned Marilyn has surgery this week. Uh, I know that Barb Manwarren's supposed to be having knee surgery. And so we have some other people with other different ailments. But keep some of those folk. And don't forget to pray for the spouses as well in those situations. So, Father, I pray that even as we start this service with a song and as we get moving, help us to have a united spirit even as we deal with business, even as we deal with some of those mundane factors, but important factors for our church. Please bless some of these folk that we've been praying for, we had the special prayer meeting this week for. We ask that you would just help them through these difficult times, encourage them. Help us to have wisdom, help us to know the mind of Christ, and to benefit from Bruce's experience and what he's going to be sharing with us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and sing a new name written down in glory. One verse. I was once a sinner, but I came pardoned to receive from my Lord. This was freely given, and I found that he always kept his word. There's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine, oh yes, it's mine. And the white-robed angels sing the story, a sinner has come home. For there's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine, oh yes, it's mine. With my sins forgiven, I am bound for heaven, never more to roam. Well, I certainly hope we're more enthusiastic about our names in heaven than the, just the way we sounded at times. Yes? No? 
Are you glad your name is written down in heaven? There you go. There you go. Good to have you here. Let me take care of the business. Uh, if you have voted, that's fine. Otherwise, if you haven't voted, fellas, you have ballots, make sure everybody is covered. While we're standing out the ballots, and those of you visiting with us, let's take care of our business meeting. Uh, what we need to do is we need to also then approve our budget by the elect officers. Everything's on that ballot if you want to do it. While you're considering that or anything is being handed out, let me make a correction to the annual report. Uh, in the annual report, we reported our assets, and that included our building, our property, whatever, at seven million five hundred and ninety-eight thousand, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera dollars. There is one area that I mentioned this morning, and I was mistaken about that and wasn't aware of my mistake, is that I said that when we were talking about the financial accounts, there was nothing in an account called an Ameritrade account where if somebody donates stocks to us, uh, those investments, then what happens is we're supposed to be converting them. Uh, our plan is to convert them and then bring, make that into a cash investment. When those donations are given... I have no clue because I don't know who's giving anything. And so uh, I was totally unaware that somebody had been giving investments and we didn't get those cashed out, so we had no record of that. I don't have any idea how much stocks or shares there are. I'm hoping it's like $3 million that we can invest in missions, but uh, I don't suspect that that's the case. But soon as we get that information, now that we know that that had happened, we're going to have to go back and have to say, okay, let's get this procedure all the way through. And so we have some stocks that, I'm, that again, I apologize. I was totally unaware that we were given those. And, um, and we'll, we'll let you know what the value is when they get transactioned into, into some type of cash. And if it's $3 million, will really rejoice. We might even be able to invest some more into the Ukraine. And Bruce, oh, there you are. Would that be okay if we did that? Oh, yeah. Okay. So that'd be good. Um, so if you want to take care of the voting right now by ballot, that would be fantastic. If you have any questions about the report or any of the other items, members, do you have any questions that we did not answer? Anything else? No, yes? Okay. Anybody else who hasn't voted? Fellas, while we sing this next song and we do a looking and living, if the uh, deacons move through, they're going to be looking for ballots. If you haven't gotten them in, they'll be taking care of that and counting them up. Let's sing a couple songs, then we're going to have Bruce in. By the way, any of the elementary age youngsters who are here in the room, the ministry is already taking place by, at the far back of the building. So if there's elementary youngsters, they should go to the North Hall so they can have their improvised Calvary Club time. I've a message from the Lord, hallelujah, the message unto you I give. Tis recorded in his word, hallelujah, it is only that you look and live. Look and live, my brother, live. Look to Jesus now and live. Tis recorded in his word, hallelujah, it is only that you look and live. Life is offered unto you, hallelujah, eternal life your soul shall have. If you'll only look to him, hallelujah, look to Jesus who alone can save. Look and live, my brother, live. Look to Jesus now and live. 
Tis recorded in his word, hallelujah. It is only that you look and live. Just realized that they changed the words on that from when I memorized it as a kid from old brother to oh, will you look. So I'll get that right next time. Let's go ahead and sing It Is Well With My Soul. It is well. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my face shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. I told Bruce beforehand that this is a difficult situation to be able to speak and then you have all of this at the front of the auditorium except for this is a great group of people to speak to. They are, they are really, really good. No matter what you put behind here, they usually listen. So Bruce, why don't you come and share? And I told you uh, you had about so many minutes. You got even more. So feel free to come on up and if at the end, Q&A or whatever, that's fine too. The time is yours, brother. 
It's always a blessing to be here at Faith Baptist Church. And uh, I had a struggle whether or not to come back to the States. Uh, I needed to for a medical reason. It's been a long time since I had a yearly physical, and, and I have a little bit of difficulty communicating with the doctors in Ukraine, though there is a, a good American style of clinic in Kiev, and I was put in contact with a, a, a doctor there. But uh, I decided best to come home. My dilemma in coming back to the States is that right now things are relatively peaceful in our city, in our part of Ukraine, but we don't know how long that will last. We never know. We don't know what's coming next when the fury of this war will hit us. And I don't want to be out of the... Well, actually, I, I would like to be out of the country, but I don't want to be away from the people who are part of my ministry if that happens. I don't want to be safe in America while the people I minister with and the people I minister to are in trouble, are in danger. I think I need to share their danger. Now, maybe that wouldn't be my first choice, but before the war began, before the invasion began, we had months to contemplate it. And for months, I agonized in prayer over what to do if a war fell upon us. And I prayed and prayed for God's will. And you know how you wish he'd write on the wall. Or you wish he'd uh, send an angel like he did to Daniel. Why not send an angel to Bruce? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe because I don't rank right up there with Daniel. But uh, I, I was trying to figure it out, and uh, I went to scriptures like one in the Proverbs that says something like, the prudent man foresees the evil coming, and he, he uh, hides himself. The idea is he sees trouble coming, and he prepares for it. Well, maybe that applies to me. Maybe God is trying to tell me through his word that I ought to leave the country. And I had, of course, the president saying get out of the country. If you're an American, get out of Ukraine. Uh, Sam Slobodian, whom I revere, and I hope you do too, he's a wise man and a godly man. Sam said, Bruce, you should leave. Um, and, and I appreciate that Sam wanted to save my life. That's his job as the head of the mission. But I didn't have any peace about that at all. And the other scripture that hit me, and please understand, this is not something I'm imposing on any other missionary, any other Ukrainian pastor, but the other scripture that troubled me and really troubled my conscience was John chapter 10, where Christ is the good shepherd. He gives his life for the sheep, the hireling, you know, sees the bear or the lion coming, and he runs away. The sheep aren't his. He's, he's, he's a hireling. He's not worried about the sheep. I don't want to be a hireling. I, I, don't, I don't want to be cannon fodder, but I don't want to be a hireling. And I, I guess I realized after much prayer, that if I fled because I'm an American, I can flee, that I would not be able to live with myself if I'm in America in safety and the people I love are suffering. I don't want to suffer. But you know, I'd been here in February, and I went, so I went back right before the war began. I went to Georgia, first of all, from here, spent a little bit of time with Micah and ministering there with him, which is the ultimate goal that I would move there and work with Micah. But um, then, we talked together about it, and there was, again, the, the possibility of just remaining there where, where I, could, I could do a lot of work with Micah or going back into Ukraine where my work isn't finished. And Micah didn't put pressure on me. He said, Dad, I'd like to know that you're safe. But, uh, but I decided I had to go back. So I think my Ukrainian brothers and sisters thought I'd lost my mind. <laughs> but I got back into Ukraine okay, and uh, that must have been the signal for Putin to start. Uh, 
when I went back into Ukraine, and that's, this is the reason I tell you this, I had a real confidence in my heart that I was absolutely safe, that uh, I was going to live through this, I was going to survive through this. Well, that lasted maybe, maybe almost a month, but as you started to get a lot of news about the carnage, now, now Ukraine was, was ably defending itself, but Russia was committing its atrocities everywhere it went, everywhere it was able to advance. And as I listened to more and more of that, I, I wasn't so sure anymore that God's will was to get me out of it, get me through it. Why not? Why couldn't it be God's will that I would, be, that I, that I would die in that war? I'd give my life to be serving there. Why not? That might draw attention to Ukraine. That might, that might cause some young couple who have presumably more years than I have left to decide we're going to go and we're going to take Bruce's place and we're going to do a better job than he did. That would be wonderful. Uh, not the dying part, but <laughs> the motivation part. So I wasn't so sure anymore. And, and frankly, the first month or so, I didn't experience fear. But that came. That came along. Uh, just because it didn't end. First part of the war, we, uh, we had some explosions in Bilatsirkva, my city. There's a training center for military there. I, I believe who they're training right now are guys who come from other countries, the Foreign Legion, which is fighting for Ukraine. And so that was a target. A rocket hit one of their large dormitories. I don't know if anyone was killed in that. But then, a little bit later, a bomb or a missile hit a part of uh, our city, not so very far from my house. Actually, my, my house shook when it hit. And um, it looks like they were aiming for a military hospital. They were about 500 meters off. They hit a, an area of the, you know, the high-rise old Soviet apartment buildings and destroyed 20 or 30 homes. But the, the report was nobody was killed. Now, it showed us that the Russians aren't very good shots because they missed the hospital. But the Russian army has showed much since then it's not just aiming at military installations. It's aiming at terror. Just kill uh, children in, in baby hospitals, uh, maternity hospitals, uh, schools, clinics, uh, go into a village and just use people, uh, civilians, for target practice. Interestingly, in Russia's uh, foraging through our land, there are times that so many of their soldiers have been killed it's been Ukraine's army that has picked up the bodies and buried them. The Russian army just goes on and leaves their own soldiers lying in the field. Uh, it's been Ukraine that has written to many Russian mothers to tell them where their sons are or maybe where their sons are buried. Now, please understand me. I'm not a Ukrainian nationalist, but that's where I serve. These are my people. These are people I love. It's my home. Uh, the atrocities. That's a big problem for us, for us as believers. So one day I'm looking on Facebook and I, I finally got fed up with things I saw on Facebook. And I'm sorry if you've communicated with me through Facebook. I just deleted it forever. Uh, it wasted a lot of my time because I can't say no to wannabe friends. So I had some 2,000 friends whom I don't know. <laughs> now that'll happen more and more as I get older and don't recall my friends. <laughs> but I'm not quite there yet, but... Uh, but anyway, one of, the, one of the guys who is serving in the largest independent Baptist church in our city, he's serving in a, a college-age ministry, and I've worked with him sometimes when he's invited me to participate when they have an English emphasis, and 
nah, there are things that, that I wouldn't do quite, but, but he's had a good ministry, but he was on Facebook and he looked like he was shaved for, for the army. I don't know if he went into the army or not, but he wrote an article uh, citing the imprecatory Psalms of David, you know, God's enemies, let their wives be childless, let their children be orphans, you know, all of that. He was citing those as a pattern for us, a standard for us, and actually verbally advocating that we hate those Russians. Uh, I'm an idiot. I responded to that on Facebook, and I know that's not the place for theological arguments. You, you can't win. Boy, did I have a multitude of people descending upon my head. Uh, who are you to judge? Uh, apparently, you can judge Russian soldiers, but you can't judge the Christian brothers advocating hatred. Do you think that hatred is consistent with the character of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you think it's consistent? But this is a reality. A very dear younger couple with four precious children who are well-behaved, which is kind of an anomaly in Ukraine, children who behave. This couple, I've often been in their homes, at their home. They had invited me to their home one night, and they asked me very sincerely a question about what can our attitude be toward this enemy, toward these, this, this aggressor? And, and, and they mentioned, too, that, you know, we, we watch the news broadcasts and we see the atrocities in Bucha and Irpen and, and other places and, and Mariupol, and, and uh, you know, the desire is to hate them. I said that we, we, need to, we need to focus on the attitude of Jesus Christ. I have prayed often for Putin's humiliation. I have prayed that God would uh, strike the Russian army with fear so that they flee, as God did sometimes in the Old Testament. I've not really prayed that he kill 185,000 of them at night so they wake up dead, like that one spot in the Old Testament. I have prayed that Putin be humiliated, hum, hum, yeah, I can say this, humiliated and brought down into the dust until he has to look up and acknowledge that there is a God whom he needs to submit to. Wouldn't it be something if a man that wicked, he was a criminal long before this war, and so are his cronies, the people who support him. Uh, wouldn't it be wonderful if that man would find forgiveness in Jesus Christ, find peace in Jesus Christ? Uh, so I pray for that. But I pray that Russia will be humiliated enough in the process that they won't bother the rest of us for decades. Now, my backup plan, if Russia falls, is... Uh, I just moved to Georgia. But if Russia falls, so will Georgia. Uh, Russia's already taken parts of Georgia, as you know, in the past. Georgia won't put up the fight that the Ukrainian army is putting up. And why would they not just walk in and claim it? And how about Estonia? And how about Latvia? And how about Lithuania? And I, I, I'm not a political animal, so I shouldn't say this. Well, if I shouldn't say it, I shouldn't say it right. But I wonder why the United States defers to the bully. That can't, be, that can't be useful. I think you have to face the bully down and uh, make sure he loses. Make sure he's defeated. But we'll see. In all the prognostic, uh, prognostications about how the war will end or how the war will proceed, the one thing that the military analysts and the political analysts never take into consideration is the hand of our God. And you folks have prayed. Many have prayed. I don't know how to thank you adequately for your prayers for us in Ukraine. Uh, there are times when we are fearful. At first, 
when we would get the sirens, and there are sirens day and night, we would go down into the root cellar through a very small hole in the floor of my foyer. We'd go down into the root cellar. It's an inhospitable place. It's a little damp. Of course, it's dark. And we would go down there. We'd sit on a plank that we put between a couple of stools, and we would sit there and wait and wait and wait. And then somebody would venture to go up and go outside and see if the sirens were still sounding. And uh, we would pull the cover over us when we went down there, but but there's a problem, and that is if a bomb hits near us and the house collapses, we have no way out. So I, I took a long steel rod, heavy steel rod, pointed on one end, flattened on the other, so we might be able to dig out, but the only reasonable place to dig out, then I remembered that when Natalie and I first bought that house, there was a crack in one of the walls because of an inadequate foundation there. So we hired guys to pour a mass of concrete on the outside of that wall. We'd have to dig an awful long way, if it's even possible, before we could get to dirt. So I'm not sure we'd ever get out of there. Eager says to me, well, Pastor Bruce, if, if we have uh, that kind of destruction in your neighborhood, we'll come over and check on you. What if he's in the basement? He was living in my house for a while then. Who's going to check on us? And, and you know, those things are troubling. When the war first started, there were a lot of things that we had reason to fear. Russia is coming across our border, and not that, not that far from us. And so... We wondered, would our, country, would our city be besieged? And if our city is besieged, it'd probably be a lot like Mariupol. Where we, wouldn't, we would not have access to heat. We would not have access to water. We would not have access to electricity. We would not have access to communication with the outside. We would no longer be able to get food supplies. That's frightening, isn't it? Medicine, how in the world would we get that? And then for our ministry, one of my concerns was, what about when the banks cease to work? Well, the banks never ceased to work. But in the early stages of the war, what happened with the banks is there would always be long, long lines at every bank, long lines at every bank machine, long, long lines at the pharmacies that were still open, long lines at any grocery store that was still open. Most of the stores closed, boarded themselves up, and people left. The coffee shops closed. That really irritated me. <laughs> the restaurants closed. I had to live on my own food for a while, my own cooking. Uh, but really, those are things that we just take for granted. Uh, most of the grocery stores did close, and the largest ones stayed open, but their shelves were just emptying very, very rapidly and not being replenished. And so whole portions of those stores were closed off because they were empty. Well, that's a little frightening, too. Uh, where are we going to get food? A lot of those things we feared never materialized. We were not besieged. Russia was besieging Kiev on the north, the northeast, the northwest. They never came around to the south side of the city toward that highway that runs from us into Kiev. We at night could, uh, well, even during the day, we could hear the explosions in Kiev. Kiev is only about 50 miles from us. We could go out at night when they were bombing Kiev, Irpin, Bucha, and uh, we could go up on a steel stairway on the outside of my house that goes to the attic, and we could stand there and look toward Kiev, we could look in that direction, we could see the pulses of light from the explosions. And sometimes we would see what looked like rockets coursing through the sky, or maybe it was anti-aircraft fire. In our city one day, just outside our city, uh, the Ukrainians shot down a Russian transport plane. Just down the street from my house, less than a block away, they arrested uh, Russian subversives who they said had just put some kind of a homing device on the hospital around the corner 
to guide their missiles in to destroy that hospital. Uh, that would have shaken my house, probably put some cracks in other walls of my house. And so I want to confess to you that we have not had to endure what folks in Kharkov and Mariupol and, and uh, Ilovaisk and, and Donetsk and some of those cities you've heard about, we've not had to endure that kind of bombing, that kind of rocket and missile fire. We've not had to endure Russian soldiers in the streets of our city, but we've never known exactly what's going on, and we've never known exactly what's going to come next. Now, my prayer has been over and over again, Lord, continue to show us the reality of that psalm that says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. And I've, I've appealed to the Lord that if he was willing to spare Sodom and Gomorrah, if ten righteous men be founded in those cities, we've got over a thousand believers in Bielaturkva alone. We're not more righteous than any other country, any other city, but if God's willing to spare Sodom and Gomorrah, would he spare us as well? Eager and I often talk about this. Eager speaks enough English we can talk well, and he's a very close friend, and we don't understand at all why believers in some of those other cities have had to endure such suffering and maybe torture and death, and yet we've been preserved. But you know, I do believe, I believe with all my heart, it's because folks like you have prayed for us. Do you believe that? I believe you have been our lifeline. And I try to encourage your brothers and sisters in Ukraine, when I'm preaching in the churches there, I always tell them, do you realize there have to be thousands of believers in the United States who are praying for you, who are praying for your safety, who are praying that we have opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, who are praying that, that, that we, we find the best way to use this awful situation for the advantage of the gospel, for the advantage of souls. Uh, I, I, got, I received so many emails the first couple months of the war that I realized I, I just couldn't answer all of them. So if I've not answered your email, please forgive me. But then I sort of got lazy because I just, I overdosed. I, but I'll tell you, every email was important. The only emails that really troubled me were the ones that told me that I was a hero, that I was a hero of faith, that I was a motivation. Um, I think it's interesting that we as Americans, maybe we as human beings, want to have heroes, don't you think? But we tend to make heroes of the un most unlikely stuff. I told a Ukrainian church just last week, I said one of the advantages of this war for me is I can have the reputation of a hero without, without having the heart and the character of a hero. Can I tell you honestly, there's nothing heroic in my bones. I went back into Ukraine, I've stayed in Ukraine because that's my home. Those are my people. That's my ministry. And I think I ought to share their lot. I think that I ought to continue to minister there. My ministry there has been much curtailed. For at least two, maybe two and a half months of last semester, we had to shut down our classes. We, we didn't know where we could go that was safe. The guys weren't thinking about theological studies. They were fearful for their lives and for their families. We had two of our students leave for other parts of Europe or at least Western Ukraine. The only men who could leave, other than really old men like myself, the only men who could leave were fathers who had at least three young children. So some families were able to leave. One of our students left for Western Ukraine, the Carpathian Mountains, 
where he found a Baptist church that needed a youth pastor, and he stepped right in, and he's performing a ministry with the youth of that church. I'm so excited about that. Another one, a, a wonderful guy that we only received recently, uh, went to Germany. I'm sure he finds ways to minister there. And uh, I've mentioned often in my newsletters, one of our guys who should be graduating now, uh, Vova Vladimir, is driving a large van, large, tall, long van, back and forth across Ukraine, taking products into those bad areas and bringing out people who are still fleeing to the West. And he's in danger for his life. One of the most recent videos he sent on my cell phone, he's handing out food to a group of people who are, who are destitute. He's handing out food and products, and there's this sharp rifle fire over and over again, and they don't run, they don't know which direction to run, so they're standing and looking around. In his videos that he sends to us, he shows us the burned-out Russian tanks. The tanks litter the fields in North, and, North Ukraine. Uh, the armored personnel carriers litter the fields and the roads. The cars that they've shot litter the fields. There are villages that are completely leveled as the Russians came in and just blew up every house. Um, and uh, so here's Vova and uh, his, his other friends, and they're handing out the stuff. And, and not able to run because they don't know where the fire is coming from. They said that it doesn't help at all to put a red cross on the side of the van to show that you're, you're doing medical work or you're bringing in uh, humanitarian aid. You become a target for that red cross. Uh, nobody's, nobody's honored. Nobody's safe. At the beginning of the war, there were those who said to me, well, you're an American. If the Russian army comes in, they'll treat you better because they'll... No, they wouldn't. The American, I mean the Russian army, if the, if the Russian, the American army I'd hope would treat me better, but if the Russian army comes in, uh, I'd probably be tortured and killed. Not, no, no prisoner swap for an American. And I understand that, but I do believe that it's a place to be and to continue the ministry there. My hope, and I've put this in a newsletter, is that maybe I can figure out a way to accomplish enough this coming semester and then figure out what all the students who are left need to finish, and then figure out a way that I can do some classes by Zoom or running back into Ukraine from Georgia. Micah can do some classes that way. Dr. Michael Peterson is willing to do some classes that way from, uh, from Poland. And uh, there is one very excellent teacher in Vila Tsirkva whom we have used before, and, and we can use him as long as his health holds, and, and maybe we can finish the training of those five men. I told those five men when we enrolled them that I'm so close to moving to Georgia that I, I can't promise that they get the three years of, of intensive training that we give, and yet my conscience won't let me just stop and leave. Micah keeps saying, Dad, Dad, sooner is better than later. But if I take a student, then I, even if I tell him this, that I can't promise three years, I feel duty-bound to try to finish his training and not just leave and leave them high and dry. So folks have asked me here, Pastor Bruce, have you taken on new students? I, I haven't taken any new students because I know that I'll feel the same way and I'll never get to Georgia. So we, we, we will have five guys coming back this fall, five good men, and I'm excited, excited about training them. You probably, if you read the newsletters, you've probably seen the things that one of my interpreters, Katya, 
has written? Katya is brilliant, but I've always had extraordinary young ladies as interpreters. And uh, my fear has been for a number of years, Katya is not going to work with me forever, and sooner or later I'm going to lose her. If I move to Georgia, I'll probably most surely lose her. And now she came back from Germany. She didn't enjoy being in another country. She was taking German lessons. She didn't enjoy the German Baptist churches. There, Jeff told me when he was ministering there, their music is all kind of high church music. There's not a lot of uh, emotion displayed in their preaching or, or their music or anything else. That, that's just the culture. And Kati didn't understand much of the, the sermons. Plus, she was living in a house of refugees with 15 other people, all of whom were young mothers who left with their children. Their husbands couldn't come out of the country. And undisciplined children, chaos, day and night. Katya's not used to living in that. She's a thinker. She's a planner. She uh, creates. And, and so she came back really spiritually def deflated um, and wondering what God's will is for her now. I've not been able to say, I know God's will is for you to work with me this fall. I keep telling her how much I want her to work with me this fall, but, but she's still not sure what she's going to do. By the way, if she says no, God has already provided a young lady. And, and by the way, I just don't know any young men who would do this. I don't have those contacts. But I've had some contact with a young lady. I had her, I had her translate for one of the last weeks of classes. She did an excellent job quick, crisp translations. Uh, you know, you could, you could get a little bit of momentum as you talk. So I've kind of held a carrot out in front of her, which isn't fair, is it? I said, I can't promise you a job, but please don't get a job before, before fall until I know for sure. I would vastly prefer to keep Katya. I know her well, and, and she's just wonderful, but I don't, I don't know if that's going to happen. A message I probably preached the last time I was here was from Philippians chapter 1, and that passage where Paul is in prison, and he's saying, the things that have happened unto me have fallen out for the, the furtherance of the gospel. And I don't know, I don't expect you to remember the message I preached, but, but I tried to emphasize that here was Paul, who wasn't so concerned about himself, like you and I always are. You know, if we're honest, we're concerned about what will happen to us, will I advance, Will I have what I need? Will I be significant to someone else? Paul says he really, it really didn't matter so much what happened to him so long as the gospel is advanced. That's the first thing he says in that part of Philippians 1. Then he says it really doesn't matter so much what happens to him so long as Christ is magnified. And then he says third, it didn't matter what happened to him so long as others were helped. And as I was praying about staying in Ukraine, I realized that probably God wanted me to live as big as I preach. Probably God wanted me to do what I'd preached to others and try to be like the Apostle Paul and not care what happens to me. Well, I, I can't quite, can I be honest? I can't quite divorce myself from caring what happens to me, <laughs> but not let that control my life. And I should say that about many of my Ukrainian brothers and sisters, your Ukrainian brothers and sisters. Many, many have stayed. Many pastors have left, Baptist pastors. Mostly they're pastors who take their wives and small children to a place of safety. But 
we have problems in the churches, odd problems now, that people who have remained can have, can start to get an attitude about people who have left. Uh, Katya's church, only 16 to 20 miles away, they are a church, I would say about 85, 90 people, a, a wonderful church. When the war started, about 40 people left. Most of those people didn't even tell the pastor they were leaving. 30 of those people were some of the best workers in the church. So all of a sudden, there's this huge vacuum of the leading people, the, the, the faithful believers in that church. Katya says she came back feeling spiritually deflated, and she says things aren't the same. Oh, the pastor is. He's a wonderful man. But the ministries aren't the same. They used to have 50 teens coming to their youth ministry every week. Now she says they have 10, and they don't have the youth leader. And uh, they have done something else, though. They have a service 9 o'clock every morning of the week. Every morning of the week, they have a service. In Eager's Church, to show you the difference, Eager's Church hasn't really lost anybody except a mother and a child who left for safety, but they'll come back. Um, and Eager's Church just continues all their regular ministries, a, a large children's ministry. But now that's going to be curtailed because the city says that if you have a children's ministry, you have to have enough room in a place where they could be sheltered from a bomb attack, you have to have enough room for all those children. Well, that, that really makes things difficult. We have generally small church buildings. Uh, generally, they don't have basements. And so their children's outreach ministry, they're not sure what to do about that. There's been much money that has flowed into Ukraine. I don't know if Sam has talked about what has come to BIM, but I, it, it's, a, it's a large amount of money. Mike Peterson is in Warsaw, and his wife and her sister in America have a website where they, they have a craft business, and they made a place to uh, donate to help Ukrainians almost immediately, $170,000. I didn't ask for any money for humanitarian. I'm just too slow on that. And over $100,000 has come into my account. Well, one of the great things about that, we have had ministries that are curtailed. But we've got folks all around us who have needs. Believers that we can help, but also unbelievers that we can help. And when we help the unbelievers, be an example of love, show them concern, give them a Bible or a New Testament, give them gospel literature, try to speak to them. So the war does create opportunities as well as killing some of our ministries for now. I probably should have told you when I started that what I have to say is kind of fragmented and uh, I've always been excited to come home and talk about the ministry this time I, I, I really don't know what to tell you but I do believe by the grace of God God has kept us alive in Beulah Circle because you folks have prayed and I, I thank you sincerely. We see God's mercies over and over and over again. I roll out of bed when the siren stops, if it's at night, and I get on my knees and I said, God, thank you for your protection. I don't know why you're so good to us, but we thank you. Uh, by the way, the first couple of months, we slept with all of our clothes on, which isn't very comfortable. And uh, now we don't do that. We ignore them. <laughs> the sirens. It's like the boy who cried wolf. So... The government keeps sending out letters saying, do not ignore the sirens, but we wait to see if we hear an explosion. 
I come back to the States. I thought I'd feel relief. But what happens is I hear sirens where there are no sirens. Uh, there was a motorcycle coming down the street behind us through the center of Lebanon. And I said to Matthew, is that a siren? <laughs> and when a car door slams outside my house or the place I'm staying, it's the percussion of that. And I wonder if that's an explosion. And I have to say, oh, I'm in America. Of course, it could be an explosion in America. But God has been so faithful, and why would we expect anything else? I want to take your attention to the scriptures, though. The Apostle John wrote in his gospel, John chapter 13, and I'll read just the first four verses. John 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. I remember a song from my youth, and I find myself self, self still singing it sometimes today. And that's that simple chorus, My desire to be like Jesus. My desire to be like him. His spirit fill me, his love overwhelm me, in deed and word, to be like him. And usually we append another short chorus to the end of that that just says, to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus. Do you remember the chorus? All I ask to be like him, all through life's journey from earth to glory, all I ask to be like him. I would like to believe that the desire of every genuinely born-again believer is to be like Jesus Christ. And I would suppose that most of you, maybe all of you, have heard enough from God's Word that that is your desire, to be like Jesus Christ. We've probably, all of our lives as believers, sung choruses and hymns about that desire. And I would hope that that is genuinely the desire of your heart. But if you are going to be like Jesus Christ, if I'm going to be like Jesus Christ, what will that look like? How will that be displayed? How will that be demonstrated in our lives? Well, we come to the Word of God here in John chapter 13, and the context here is Jesus' ministry to his disciples in the upper room, the night in which he was going to be betrayed, the night in which he was going to be arrested and tried, and before he was crucified. And here we find that the scripture displays for us some of the riches, some of the beauty of the character of our Savior. And we need to see that, but more than that, we need to strive to be like him. We need to desire to have that which is, was in the character of our Savior as a part of our character. We need to desire it, and we need to allow the Holy Spirit to develop in us a character like his. Well, I'd like to keep this brief. I need to keep this brief, but here in our text, we find at least two qualities in Jesus' character that need to be reproduced in the life of every believer. And the first is this. We need to have a confidence in our relationship with the Father that can develop in us a calmness in any, any circumstance of life, any danger, any perplexity, any, any suffering, we need to have a confidence in our relationship with our Heavenly Father that can develop calmness in those circumstances. If we would go back to that upper room and seek to get a sense of what's happening there, we would see that this was Jesus' darkest hour. In less than 24 hours, he's going to be taken to the cross. 
Inside that upper room, Jesus is meeting with his disciples, but outside there's confusion and hostility, and the men who had been plotting all along to take his life are now ready to act. But things are really no better inside that room, are they? Because the other gospel writers tell us that, that the disciples were arguing and fighting among themselves as, as to who was the greatest and who would have the chief place when Christ would set up his kingdom. And then, of course, you remember that Judas Iscariot himself was in that upper room. It's interesting to notice our Lord's actions through all of these events, but also his calmness and the quietness of his heart. And at such a terrible time, and with all this chaos in the room, outside the room, how could he have such a calmness? Why was he so calm? Well, we know that Christ had an invisible resource, and there were times that he was troubled. In chapter 13, where we just read, verse 21, if we go further, John tells us that Jesus Christ was troubled. And in chapter 12 and verse 27, the previous chapter, we would see that Jesus said it about himself, that he was troubled in heart. He used the same word, troubled, that he uses in chapter 14 and verse 1, where he says to us as his believers, his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. What does the word troubled mean? Well, it's a word that describes an emotional state of disturbance and unrest. Jesus was facing very much that was against him. There was the disorder among his own disciples and there was the hostility outside that would result in that horrible death on the cross. And with all of this, Jesus experienced times when his soul was deeply troubled, in turmoil. He reacted much the same as you or I would react. Remember that he was fully human, just as he was completely deity. He was completely God. He experienced everything you and I have experienced, except sin. So he experienced all the emotions that we feel, and there were times that he was deeply troubled. But one of the differences is he never put himself into a state of panic. He never allowed himself to become depressed when his soul was troubled. He never became hysterical when his soul was troubled. Because he made use of that resource, he would go back to the Father. He would rely upon him. Now, that allowed him, in these horrible circumstances, to act with strength and calmness in his relationship, in his ministry to his disciples. If we would go back and look at this entire chapter, we would probably note that the first three verses of John 13 tell us what Jesus knew, and then from verse 4 onward, it tells us what Jesus did as a result of what he knew. John tells us, first of all, that Jesus knew that his death was drawing near. He says he knew that his hour had come. His hour that he speaks of was the hour of his death. And Jesus knew, secondly, that the traitor was there in, his, in their midst. In Luke's gospel, chapter 22 and verse 21, Jesus said, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. And then thirdly, we're told that he knew where he was going, and he knew where he had come from. He knew his origin was in God. He knew that he was the God of all the ages, all of eternity past. He was God and with the Father. So he knew his origin. He knew he had come from God. He knew that he was ultimately going back to God. He knew that it was God's power that sustained him all along the way, and he knew well the mission for which the Father had sent him from heaven. Those were the things that made, impossible, it, made it possible for him to act the way he acted. 
He knew clearly who he was because he saw himself in his relationship to his father and he knew he was okay. He knew that he had what he needed to face those circumstances, whatever they would be. He knew of the heavenly home to which he would return. He knew that he would one day be reunited with the Father. And he knew that he would go back to the glory that he once knew. Now, you would think that his disciples would have been concerned about him, knowing that he was in trouble. You would think that they would have tried to minister to him, but his disciples seemed to ignore him. They were so interested in their own problems. They were so preoccupied with their own thinking and status that they completely seemed to miss the fact that he was hurting, he was in trouble. But because our Savior knew who he was in relationship with the Father, he was able, even in that darkest of hours, to minister to his disciples, to set his own concerns aside and minister to them instead of them ministering to him. You and I surely ought to see the, the very dramatic contrast between the attitude in the heart of our Savior and the attitude in the minds and hearts of his disciples. And I would have to say, we ought to also admit that we haven't advanced very far from that. We aren't so very different than they were. But here's what I especially want you to see. What was true of our Lord? What is true of our Lord is also true for every genuine believer. Because every genuine believer is identified with Jesus Christ. Every genuine believer has Christ living in him or her in the, spirit, in the person of the Holy Spirit. Every genuine believer is said in the Scripture again and again to be in Jesus Christ. You know, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you turn from your sin and anything else you've ever trusted in, and you put your faith wholly in Jesus Christ, you receive divine life, God's life, a new life. It's God's life planted within you the very moment you turn from your sin to the Savior. So in that sense, your origin comes from God as well. My life started at the age of 15 when I turned from everything else I trusted in and put my trust in Jesus Christ. That's when real life started. And so my life has a divine origin, comes from God, and my destiny, and your destiny too, if you're a born-again believer, is to be with God. And that destiny is secure when you belong to God. It's a great thing to be sure of when times are difficult, when you're in danger, when you're in confusion. It's a great thing to know all this that Jesus Christ knew that allowed him to act with and to, and to have a calmness in all that adversity. You know, it is for us also God's authority, God's care, God's power that will sustain us all, the, all along away from the, the way from here to glory. Therefore, you, like our Lord, can face any circumstance, any danger, any humiliation with the same assurance, the same calmness of heart based on your relationship with the Father. Jesus' knowledge of his relationship with the Father equipped him for anything that was ahead. And, you know, if we've got that confidence, we can minister to others. We don't have to always be the ones who are ministered to. And that's something, I think, that makes God's family unique. Even when you or I am hurting, we don't have to turn our entire focus upon ourselves. We can turn away from our focus on ourselves and find others who are hurting and help them. We can care about someone else's hurt, about someone other than self. Do you really want to be like Jesus? Do you really want to be like your Savior? Then develop this confidence in your relationship with the Father 
that will give you calmness in every trial of life. Now, I've got just a little bit of time left, so let me give you a second characteristic or quality that was in our Savior that we need to have developed in our lives as well, and that is we need to have a day-by-day, maybe even an hour-by-hour concern about God's will for us that will keep us in a sense of urgency to fulfill it. We don't know what Jesus knew. You and I don't know when our life is going to end, either by the rapture and Christ calling us home or by death. We don't know that. We don't know how much more time we have until we stand before God. But we know that as Jesus wrote, James 4.14, what is your life? It is just a, a vapor, it's just a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. We know that. We know as the psalmist wrote in Psalm 103, verse 15, he said, as for man, his, way, his, his days are as grass. He flourishes like a, the flower of the field, the wind passes over it, and it's gone. And we know, as Jesus said in John 9, 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, because the night comes when no man can work. We know also that Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, 16, that we are to be redeeming the time. We are to be using our time wisely, buying up every opportunity. Now, I found something as I began to study this passage that I should have seen years and years ago, but I don't think I did. And that is that John's gospel seems to emphasize that Jesus Christ lived by a heavenly timetable, lived on a heavenly schedule, because over and over again, John tells us in his gospel that Jesus' hour had not yet come. At the marriage in Cana of Galilee, when uh, Jesus' mother Mary questioned him, chapter 2, verse 4, Jesus said, my hour is not yet come. Chapter 7 and verse 30, at the Feast of Tabernacles, when the, the crowd tried to capture him and take him and do harm to him, John tells us his hour had not yet come. The next chapter, chapter 8, verse 20, as he taught in the temple, and they tried to arrest him again. John says his hour had not yet come. Chapter 12 and verse 23, on Jesus' entry into Jerusalem that last week, Jesus says the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Chapter 13, verse 1, we just read that a few minutes ago. Jesus knew that the hour had come that he would depart out of the world to the Father. And then one more place, chapter 17, also part of that upper room experience, and part of Jesus' prayer to the Father, he says, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son. All of that shows us that Jesus was acutely aware that his time on earth, his time to work, his time to accomplish God's purposes was brief. He was aware of the Father's will for him and the urgency with which he must accomplish it. And I want to ask you this evening, can the same thing be said about you? Do you think from day to day about the brevity of your life about the fact that you don't know how much more time you have. But do you think also, along with that, about the fact that God didn't just save you so that you could be happy? Yeah, that's a result, a wonderful result. God didn't just save you so you could go to heaven. That's also a wonderful purpose and result. God saved you so you'd pick up his work and carry it on, didn't he? God saved you for a purpose, just like he sent his son to this earth for a specific purpose. Have you thought about that? You know, we need to understand the shortness of time. We need to understand the urgency with which we ought to be serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have the same consciousness about time? I, I know this is facetious, but if, if Jesus Christ had a watch in the first century, I can imagine him continually checking his watch, especially the calendar part of the watch, because he realized he didn't have a lot more time. I'm 72 years old. 
Yeah, yeah, tell me I'm a young 72, okay? Go, like that. You don't, okay. I'm 72 years old. I think about the time being short. I, I, I pray that God gives me 20 more years. I told my children that I'm praying that my mind doesn't grow dim and they say, Dad, that ship has sailed. But <laughs> I'm praying I can continue to serve the Lord. I'm praying I can continue in Ukraine or the Republic of Georgia. And frankly, I'm hoping God gives me some more time before I stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Because there are things I wish I could do and accomplish for my Savior. Uh, are you conscious of time? If you can say in your heart, oh, I want to be like Jesus, then you need to let the Holy Spirit develop in you a confidence in your relationship with the Father, one like Jesus' confidence, one that will develop in you a calmness through any trial of life and a freedom from your and my natural selfishness so that we will invest our lives in others. And you need an ever-present concern about fulfilling God's will for your life, a sense of urgency, of restlessness, to work for him while it is day. I wonder if you'd say this evening, God impress these needs upon my heart, upon my life. God impress the character of my Savior upon my heart. God convict my heart, enrich in me that desire to be like your son, to be like my Savior. I wonder if you'd say, God, press me forward in confidence. Press me forward in service. Press me forward in urgency to fulfill my Father's will. I wonder if you have that kind of a prayer you'd be willing to put before the Lord tonight. Can we pray? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness to us all. Day after day after day, your care, your provisions, your protection, it abounds. And there must be so much of it we never recognize. We don't see it, but it's there. When someone wonders, what has God ever done for me recently? Oh, we ought to have a ready answer. And we ought to know how much you're doing for us. Father, thank you for preserving so many of us in Ukraine who look to you, who trust to you, but also who receive whatever is your will in our lives. I pray, Father, you'd place in every one of us a passion to be like Jesus Christ in every aspect. But as we think about these two tonight, I pray that you'd impress these upon our hearts and then set us to work with a joy, a calmness, maybe one perhaps that we've never enjoyed before. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so very, very much. We're going to let you have an opportunity to get towards the foyer. Matthew, you're welcome to join your dad. And then our folk get a chance to be able to talk with you, visit with you. Thank you for being here. Tomorrow morning we're starting VBS to get ready for VBS. We need your help for just a couple of minutes. We're going to be tearing down some parts of the room. But if everybody would be so kind in that section, this section, this section, in front of the aisle back here, these, these leave the hymn books in. We'll, we don't need those. But all these pews all the way to that side, would you get the hymn books out, please, and just put them on the back pew? That way, at least we salvage them a little bit for when we use them from what the kids might do with them tomorrow. Outside of that, if you want to see uh, Pastor Tony or I think Aaron's helping out uh, and check, we're going to be collapsing some areas in the, around the building. We'd appreciate your help. Thank you so much. Good night.